If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Coming up on Money Beat, the first quarter of 2017 was much better for the IPO market than the first quarter of 2016. What changed and what might change in the rest of the year? Frank Maturo from UBS Group is here to help us break it down. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. Paul and Stephen coming to you from a rainy New York City on the very last day of the first quarter of 2017. And uh, boy, this this quarter kind of felt like it went fast. Yeah. But I mean, good God, so much is going on w- within the quarter. Uh, look, we, we've done a couple things for you in the last week or so, right? We've kind of recapped where the market is, where we think the market is heading. We've talked about some trends. And what we want to focus on today is where the IPO market was in the first quarter and where the IPO market might be going and some of the larger trends within the, the, the whole world of, of, of equity, of you know, just the concept of equity and where it might be going. And to do that, we have in the studio with us today our own Maureen Farrell. Maureen, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for and having me. And sitting to my right, Frank Maturo, who is vice chairman of equity capital markets for the Americas at UBS Group. Frank, thanks uh, for coming in today. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I noticed you've got you've got a lot of paper in front of you. You got a lot of charts and numbers, so you're prepared. I'm glad to see that. Okay. <laughs> uh, let Let's start off just, uh, Marine. You know, first quarter IPO market. How was it? So much better than last year when we spent most of the first quarter saying, like, where are they? What's happening? There were right. none in January. It was super slow. So it's up a lot. But even with that, we're still down in volume from 2015. So it's a good normal quarter. Things have normalized a bit. Mm-hmm. but um, So different from last year, but not what I, what the I was, What I was going to say was funny was you were just transitioning at this time last year into the IPO beat. And I remember you were just sitting there going, I hope I'll have something to write about. <laughs> we did um, a lot last year for that. Yeah. But I mean, the, you had a, you had Snap, which was a sort of, a, you know, a night, it was a I, one of the unicorns, a big uh, tech IPO. Um, and one of the stats I was saying before the show that I found fascinating was just the level. We're up a thousand percent. And that's not really a sign of how robust the market was, although it was, you know, a solid quarter. It was more of how bad the first quarter of 2016 was. Um, that's You don't hear a thousand percent jumps very often yeah. year over year in ECM data. Is that, is, that, is that the number of deals, the dollar That was the deal amount? volume, that, the, the value. Deal, the value. dollar amount. Yeah, yeah the, the dollar, dollar amount's amount. up over a thousand. But even the deals are, are pretty much triple yeah. uh, what we had. But th- more importantly, and, and Maureen was right, that obviously uh, – many more deals this first quarter versus first quarter of 2016. But it's also the breadth of deals. You know, in the first quarter of 2016, there weren't very many, but they were all healthcare deals, almost yeah. all healthcare. And and now this first quarter, it's healthcare and technology and industrials and consumer retail and energy. So you've hit almost all of the you know all of the different sectors, and that's what's positive about about hopefully going forward to uh, today's IPO market. And, and is that more so than because look, I know uh, you know I, I don't cover the IPO market. I kind of absorb it from what Marine and everybody else is. So I know that there were a couple of big name deals 
is this quarter more that there were a couple of big name deals dominating, or or is it what you're saying, Frank? It really is broader than than just that. No, it, it, it's it's really broader. It I is. mean, you know, you do get a few big deals uh, every now and then in in uh, in tech. Um, th- this quarter, we had a big deal in uh, in the real estate uh, space. Uh, also, uh, there was a REIT that was pretty pretty large last year. You also had uh, had a REIT. Um, so every now and then, you get you get these one off deals, but it's really it's really the number. You know, we're north of probably 25 deals uh, this first quarter. And again, just a range of industries. And it's interesting because some of the best performers have been, you know, not the ones you always hear about, but it's been kind of mid uh, heartland America, industrial type of companies that have uh, done well. There's, you know, one of the uh, IPOs this year was a building products related company. And that's been one of the best performers of 2017. So it's been companies that where you're getting a pickup in the economy uh, that are, you know, a go at GDP plus type of growth, those actually have been some of the better performers because uh, people are looking not only this year at 2017, but are also looking forward to 2018 with the pickup in the economy and the new administration. And even in tech, I think to your point, Frank, it's like everyone watched Snap that dominated so much coverage and so much attention. But there were companies like MuleSoft, it's an enterprise company, like billion, two billion-ish company, went out, did well, priced above its private round. And I think that type of company is much is what other companies are looking to more to see whether or not they're going to go. Because there aren't a whole lot of Snapchats out there of that size or that type of company. Uh, thank God for that. Uh, yeah, we don't. I, I think we can you know avoid how I feel about Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with the um, IPO, just the service itself. But one of the one of the things I wanted to ask you about was last year. You saw a lot of companies when they were going public, going through the process. They were either pricing at the lowing, uh, low end of their range, and then they weren't getting much of even a pop. Um, it seemed like they were barely getting out the door. How 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 has the environment changed um, for companies choosing to go public now? Yeah, that, that's a good point, Stephen. I, I think that last year uh, valuations were much more conservative. Uh, I think people took a very, very measured, you know, because the first quarter was so uh, difficult um, uh, coming coming into the year with a number of IPOs. I think people uh, treaded lightly as far as valuations. So that's why you saw deals priced. Uh, either at the low end of the range, there are actually a bunch of deals that were dramatically oversubscribed and they priced at the midpoint of the range, yeah. not even at the high end or above, which you don't normally see. But because of that phenomenon um, last year, the performance of IPOs was very strong. Right. So that got people more interested in looking at IPOs, buying IPOs. This year, as we moved into this year, valuations, I think, have become more reasonable and fair. You're seeing deals priced you know, high end of the range, above the range. Um, it's been very mixed this year, though. Um, so, uh, But I do think valuations generally are better, and they're kind of pushing valuations a little bit more aggressively than we did last year because everyone had to be con- – it was conservative. We're all looking, you know, what was the last deal? How did it perform? And so it's one of those things where success begets success, and if you have good deals, then that's going to lead to more issuance uh, into the marketplace. And the market backdrop this year yeah. has been almost as good as you could get, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that when you look at taking a company public, you know, you're looking at where the comparable company valuations are. And given that we're near all-time highs, whatever sector you're looking at, um, 
a lot of the comparable companies are trading near historical high multiples. So you're looking at it saying, hey, I'm going to take a, a tech company or an industrial company or a consumer company and I compare them to other similar companies and they're all trading at historically higher multiples. And and so, yeah, so that's why I think uh, people are looking to do that, to take it out further. Building sort of on the market sort of backdrop too, it's, I mean, the, the first quarter of last year was <laughs> highly volatile. Um, you had oil by February 11th. The markets and oil had both bottomed, um, but you also had a lot of political uncertainty with, with Brexit and the um, the U.S. election. So it felt like there were only these small little windows for companies really uh, to get out if they're going public. Are we facing? A, is there anything like that happening this year, or is the market? Do you think that the market's going to be much more as the year progresses, welcoming? I think the only thing that people that we're really monitoring in the market this year is uh, interest rate increases. Mm. So, and, and they've been pretty well telegraphed. So that's good because if the market, it's, it's the unexpected that the market, you know, has, where the volatility comes in. So now we're talking about, okay, when's the next interest rate increase? You know, is it June or are they going to wait till the fall? Obviously, there's the expectation that there's two more interest rate increases. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, that's what people are focused on right now. If, if if the telegraphing by the Fed changes, then that's what, what could cause some volatility. But it looks like we're you know we're we have pretty smooth sailing uh, for a while here. You know the 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 issue with uh, the uh, the interest rate increases is a lot of the financial sponsor deals have leverage on them. So they're highly levered companies. And we've seen that leverage number come down from a couple of years ago, two, three, four years ago, you know, you were able to take a company public with north of five times leverage, six times leverage in some cases. Uh, I did one back in 2013 that was eight times levered. You know, now what's happening is with interest rates going up, people are waiting a little bit longer, paying down more debt, and coming out with leverage down in the two and the three uh, area, we have seen some deals with, you know, low fours, mid four type of leverage, but you don't see as many as you did years ago. Do you think that's going to creep up more? Is there more acceptance of leverage from what you've seen this year so far? If the economy picks up, then then people will get more confident in uh, the cash flows of the company, and then they'll be able to put more leverage on it. And again, that creates as those as that debt is paid down, they'll creates equity value over time. So we went where you could not take a company uh, that was highly levered public to now, and people are still being more con- are, are more conservative with it, but it's starting to creep up a little bit higher. All right, let's take a break there. We'll come back on the other side of this message with more about the IPO market. We are joined by Frank Maturo from UBS Group today. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Hi, this is Paul Gigo, host of the Potomac Watch podcast. Join me and my colleagues every week as we dissect all of the latest happenings in Washington. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. 
Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul and Stephen here in the studio, joined by Maureen Farrell and Frank Maturo from UBS Group, talking about the IPO market. And uh, before we get back into it, I just want to remind you, if you like what you're hearing from us and you want more podcasts from The Wall Street Journal, we have plenty of them. You can uh, follow us. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You can subscribe to us on all those places. We are on your Google Play Music app. If you like it and you want to share it with your friends on Facebook, which we would certainly encourage, uh, you can follow us at facebook.com backslash WSJ podcasts. And if you want to email us, we would love to hear from you. Write us. We are podcasts at DowJones.com. Talking about the IPO market, and it was certainly a better quarter for IPOs this year than last year. And, and Frank, one thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, being somebody who is, is inside the IPO market, it, it's good to kind of get your perspective. But what I want to know is, can you kind of characterize for me how when, when you when you go home at night and you kind of reflect on what the market's like, you know? What's your attitude this year compared to last year? How do you feel? How did you feel <laughs> last year, and how do you feel this year about it? Well, last year I was bored. Uh, <laughs> I, I was bored. It's it's hard when you're a when you're in on Wall Street as long as I've been on Wall Street, and you're a Type A personality. You don't want to be you know sitting around. Uh, you want to be out selling companies and marketing and uh, and pitching deals. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't as much of that last year. So now this year. You know, it's much busier. The day goes faster. You know, you're talking about uh, different type of companies in different sectors and and um, and their growth prospects. And that's the fun part of the job. Hmm. It's really the fun part of the job because our business has changed over the years. And a lot of when when you the non IPO business uh, in our in our industry now, a lot of it's block trades and overnight deals, yeah. and you don't mm -hmm. really get to market anything. And you know, I've I've been in this business now for over thirty years. I like I like to market companies. I like to talk about companies. I like to sell companies. And you know, the, the, the where you're on the road, those are IPOs where you're on the road for you know eight to ten days, yeah. and you're able to talk about a company and you're able to make you know to figure out if you valued it correctly. That it's the fun part of the job. It's the reason why. You know, certainly I've been into the, I've gone into the business, I think, for, even for the young people who are in our business. It's a it's it's the part it's where you're going to learn. It's where you're going to learn and understand companies and how to value them. You know, it's funny because it sounds like in our business, uh, you know, we're all news junkies. Like we like news. We like <laughs> writing about stuff. like we're we're bored. We're the same way we're, we get really bored and antsy when there isn't anything to write about. So I kind of understand where you're coming no, I mean, from with that. I mean, the last, I mean, there have been periods of volatility in the last couple of years, but the markets have been, you know, there's a slow grind higher yeah. where, uh, you know, it's hard to figure out what to write that day. <laughs> yeah. right. And it's uh, frustrating. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like. It is. It is frustrating. Yeah. That's, that's exactly when, what When you is. walk in and it's, you know, the, the futures are down 400 points or there's a huge, you know, uh, M&A deal or IPO, right. like Snap. I mean, that was, that's exciting for us. I mean, mm -hmm. like, I mean, we're in early yeah. we're, and we know what we're doing. Right, and right. It works. When I, I wanted to get back. You mentioned overnight and block trades. You, we really saw that pick up last year, um, especially with a lot of the energy companies. Has uh, that persisted this year? It has. It has. Like it's it's, uh, it's where um, I, I think there, there's a lot of cash out there to invest. Uh, you know, people have moved into the equity markets given that we're near all time highs. Yeah. You know, post the election, and uh, and so the overnight transactions and the block trades uh, have persisted. 
it's it's a it's a different type of business because uh, it's done so quickly. But um, you know, it's if it, it, like for the energy companies, it was a great way for them to raise capital in a very difficult environment. Right. Um, but uh, again, it's and, uh, you know a lot of those a lot of those transactions go. Um, they go very quickly, and a lot of times they go to hedge funds and people like that. You know, very fast money type of players. I'm assuming the lack of volatility in the markets makes them um, more, you know, sort of appealing in some ways. Yeah, I mean, our, the volatility has been surprisingly low yeah. in our market. I mean, you know, we're under 15. You know, we've been that way for a long time now. So, so it's it's been. Uh, it's both a positive and a negative, depending on what type of <laughs> what, what part of the market you're in. Right. Frankly, from from a cultural standpoint, because we, you know, Maureen and I have talked about this a bunch. A lot of investors talk about this: the reticence of startups, especially tech startups, uh, for tapping the public markets. Are, are you seeing that, or what's your sort of take from the sort of banker uh, point of view? Well, clearly, there's there's been an opportunity to uh, get money through the private markets. So, therefore, the tech companies, I think, have been staying private longer because uh, they don't have to raise capital in the public markets. I think mm-hmm. eventually they have to come to the market. I think you're going to see a big pickup in tech uh, transactions this year. But over the last couple of years, there's obviously been a dearth of them. Uh, and I know that's been tough on Maureen and, and people, <laughs> uh, people in her industry. But um, – you know, because um, there are people trying to get in earlier and there's been this private capital uh, that they've been able, whether it's a, from a sovereign or from uh, mutual funds that are willing to invest in privates that never did it in the past, um, you know, they've, they've been able to, to go longer. But the other thing, the other thing that, that we see that over the past couple of years is the dual track process where a company goes down both an IPO path but also puts their name out to potentially uh, be acquired in an M and A transaction. So, you know, we've seen um, there was one tech company earlier this year uh, that went on their whole roadshow, right? In twenty four, forty eight before it was pricing, uh, right? Twenty four hours before pricing, they they got bought by uh, by wow. Cisco, um, and uh, and even even an industrial company that happened to today. So, but you know, we've seen um, some uh, small tech companies instead of IPOing get bought by larger. You know, uh, Why are they choosing to get bought then, um, you know, take the jump on an IPO, especially if you're going right up to the pricing day? You know, it's, it's, really, it's really the um, decision, do I want to sell 100% of my company today right. at X price or do I feel – you know, do I feel confident in the future and should I sell 20% of my company in the market today and over the course of several years sell the balance of the 80%, you know, over the course of a four or five year period? And that's just a, you know, it's just a, a, a decision, I guess, that a each firm has decision. a personal decision, uh, you know, whether it's the, the venture capital firm that owns them yeah. or the yeah. management team to to make. It's, you know, do it's almost like, uh, you know, the... The lottery ticket? Do you do you take all your money today, yeah, or do right. I, you know, get the get the uh, the a certain amount uh, for the rest yeah, of my yeah, life? And, and, you know? and sort of cynically, from what I could see, you know, the the little experience I have with Silicon Valley, having covered Bitcoin and startups and all that stuff, uh, for some people that's their business model: come up with something that sounds oh, good, yeah. raise some money, and then sell it before you know you ever have to prove it out. Just you know, it's it's it's. 
So it's, it's extreme sort of short-termism. Or on the flip side, Paul, like what a lot of entrepreneurs articulate is that, you know, can you take these like huge risks and build out the business and innovate in the public markets once you have shareholders like right, every right. quarter? Or should I just go and like go inside Cisco and like they'll right. promise me some freedom and we'll sit in yeah. our own like and, corner? And, and some of them, it's funny because it's what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Some of them are, are just entrepreneur junkies. Like they just like to dream up mm-hmm. ideas, build companies, come up with something, sell it quick, and then go back out and do it over again. Like it, it's it's really kind of it's it's a culture. Some of it is just a culture. Yeah, like the, some of these people are extremely bright people. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and they come up with these great ideas, and and they keep moving on. Right. Yeah. But you know, so, I, like, and the struggle is too. Also, in many ways, in a lot of the tech companies we've seen going public, they're facing stiff competition from behemoths like Google, Facebook. I mean, we've we've seen yeah. with Snap this week, Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is product launches. I mean, they're facing really established tech giants. Well, you know, it, when. A lot of times when you're selling a tech company, you talk about it being a disruptor, being a company that's going to disrupt the marketplace Mm -hmm. on whatever sector they're they're involved in, software, internet, whatever it might be. But that disruptor um, uh, viewpoint, just uh, culture, I should say, continues with the next company. And then they, 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 they keep... People keep disrupting one company after another, which is why, you know, you look at some of the IPOs that have come in the past, whether it's Twitter, whether it's GoPro, whether it's Fitbit. I mean, they all were great IPOs at the time, but, you know, from a stock price perspective, yeah. they, they've, they've fallen off quite a bit. Yeah. And I'll give you, I'd like to throw out two reasons why I think even if the IPO market picks up, why this trend isn't really, the dual track trend isn't totally going to go away or, or ebb all that much. Number one, or not even dual track, like why private versus going public. Number one, SoftBank has $100 billion that's going to go after not all private companies, but a lot of private tech companies at all different sizes. They could take them private. They could go after like, you know, big, sizable companies. They just didn't, we've been reporting that they're going to put $3 billion into WeWork. They have so much money to put out there. So they... Even if some of this pulls back, you have another $100 billion over the next five years going to the private markets, largely. Number two, if tax reform happens, I've heard a lot of people talk about this. I think this is really interesting. If these big tech companies can suddenly repatriate their cash, where are they going to put it? Yeah, They're going to go right. at – they need to use it. They need to put it somewhere. So you could even start – think that the gulf gets even bigger. These big companies get bigger. They need to – they're struggling to innovate, so why not buy up the next App Dynamics, the next Snap? And they're going to have so much more wherewithal to do it. Yeah, that's and, a great point, Maureen. You know, put that in perspective. Uh, the story we're you know we're talking about, right? The first quarter IPOs, the dollar value what was it thirteen billion? Correct. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're about a hundred billion fund over exactly. five years. It's not the same time frame, but I mean, it kind of puts it in some perspective of how much money is just sloshing around out there potentially. And that's just one fund, one right. new fund one that we didn't big, even know about last great, year. Huge right. one, but Huge still. one, right. Can we talk a little bit about the just sort of like, like broadest, broadest big picture, Frank? You know, where do you see the IPO market going? Where do you see it evolving? Do you see it changing? Uh, I don't see it changing like the follow-on market has changed where, again, we're doing all these overnight and block trades. I, I still think at the end of the day, IPOs need to be marketed. You need to get in front of investors. Maybe the road shows, you know, as, as you're getting a concentration of money in certain areas of the country, you know, maybe you go from a 
eight-day road show to a seven-day road show or nine-day road show to a seven-day road show. So I think maybe the road shows, but I think uh, I don't think how IPOs get done uh, as far as uh, valuing the companies, trying to come up with the right value, uh, marketing them, uh, comparing them to what else is out there in the public market. I don't see that changing as far as the um, the process. You know, as far as going forward, IPOs this year, look, I, I do think that it's going to pick up. I think the private equity, you know, and a lot of IPOs come from financial sponsors and the private equity community. They, they've gone out and raised a lot of capital over the last, they continue to raise new funds. And all those new funds are bigger than the last, the last funds, and they have to be invested. And so you're seeing um, put, them putting the money to work, and eventually when they invest in a company, it's either going to get sold to another company uh, or it's gonna, they're going to IPO. And I think now, um, because the last couple of years uh, has been a lighter issuance volume, I think now you're going to see more of them uh, come out from the private equity, the co- companies that they've invested in over the last three or four years. And now I think you're going to see a pickup in financial sponsor IPO activity. As as I mentioned earlier, the debt levels have gotten paid down to a to a to a, a level where the market's going to be more accepting of them. So they might have been private longer, uh, getting their their leverage uh, uh, numbers down, and now they're going to come to the marketplace. So I I do think you're going to continue to see a pickup. And the great thing about it, it's going to hopefully continue to have good breath and come from all different areas, industrials, you know, financials, consumer, energy, real estate. And that's positive. I have one question. Yeah, if you have any other questions for Frank, this is the time. But this is not about IPS. I just wanted to get your uh, take on the Final Four this weekend. (laughs) I love talking basketball. (laughs) Um, I uh, was a basketball player uh, in my in my youth and in my uh, in my college career, so I love talking basketball. But uh, look, I think um, uh, it's great to see South Carolina, uh, you know, be kind of the Cinderella team. Uh, I think their player has like one of the best names you could possibly have, <laughs> you know, Cinderius Thornwell, yeah. uh, and he's a terrific player. Uh, obviously, you kind of have to root for the underdog, and I'd love to see you, know, you could ha- you could have an all East Coast final with South Carolina, North Carolina, and that would be kind of neat. Or you Carolina could have final. Uh, or you could have yeah, Carolina <laughs> final. Or you could have a uh, you know West Coast final with uh, you know Gonzaga and uh, and Oregon. But you know I. You know, I, I wouldn't mind give, being an East Coast person. I wouldn't mind seeing South Carolina, North Carolina. And, again, I think Cinderius uh, Thornwell has just been an awesome player for South Carolina. And it's great to see, a, you know, a seven-seeded team. But the other, you know, the other thing, because I love basketball so much, I also watch the women's Final Four. Oh, yeah. And, you know, obviously I, I live in Connecticut, so, <laughs> so you're, you're rooting for UConn. Uh, certainly they're playing Mississippi State. And then, uh, and then it's great to South Carolina got teams in on both the women's side and the men's side. Yeah. And I guess South Carolina, I believe, is playing Stanford uh, tonight. Um, so I, I love to watch the women's Final Four as much as I love to watch the men's Final Four. I think it's great. Yeah. No, I'm a huge, huge Connecticut fan. My my aunt actually would disown me. She's a judge in Connecticut and uh, is a huge UConn uh, women's basketball fan. But I have to go. I have to go. Gonzaga. Just I've been rooting for Gonzaga for ever since they first made the, the Sweet Sixteen. I think Mark Few has done such a tremendous job with that yeah, program. Yes, yes. Um, I'm, I was really glad to see them finally break through and get to the Final Four. Yeah, and same thing with Oregon. You know, they, they obviously yeah, they, they, they obviously were in the first 
uh, NCAA championship uh, back in I guess 1939 or 1938. I, f- I forget which, which. So it's it's good to see, and and so it's uh, you know North Carolina. Obviously, you know I know a lot of people don't like them, but you know they did have a heartbreaker last year. Um, so you kind of feel yeah, that, you know it's it's, it's, it's their, a pretty it's, amazing it's, shot. That was, that was amazing. Credit for that. Uh, that whole game was just one of the best ever, yeah. right? So, but you have to feel for North Carolina, uh, given it was a last second shot and. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's great fun. I, I was at the uh, the first ever um, Ivy basketball tournament down at the Palestra a couple of weeks ago. You know, Ivy League never really had yeah, their own right. tournament. They had their first one a couple of weeks ago down at the Palestra at Penn. Um, the top four of the eight, eight teams. So it was fun. Uh, it was fun seeing that for the first time. And then there was a lot of interest and excitement. And and then you know, Princeton won it, and Princeton almost beat Notre Dame. You know, they lost yeah. by two mm-hmm. and they had a, they had a three pointer right at the end of the game. And so I was happy to see an Ivy League team, Princeton, you know, give give such a strong effort against uh, uh, Nor- uh, Notre Dame, which was uh, seated fifth. Uh, at the was, time. Was, was, was there an actual pick for the men's tournament and all that? Did I you talked about all the teams? Did I hear you say who who's your call? You're rooting for right. I, I, I guess I'd like to see a North Carolina, South Carolina final. Pro- and I, I kind of indifferent on, on which one uh, wins. I mean, obviously, North Carolina would be the heavy favorite there. Where, where did you play? I played at Yale. Yeah, okay. Yale. Long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to say, there's there's a really inappropriate way that um, Yale did the, well last year, right? They did. We yeah. we we, we were in the NCAA's okay. uh, last year. Yeah. Versus Duke, and I'm sorry we took you down, but <laughs> I, I actually was <laughs> I was at, not sorry. But. I was at that game. We we had beat Baylor in the first round, and then the second round was against Duke, and it was uh, we gave them a game. It was a lot yeah, of it was fun. A good game. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was at the Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence, and it was uh, it was a great time. It was a great time. And I will have to say, I would like to see North Carolina go down, and I would appreciate that, at <laughs> yeah. the very least at this There's point. There's actually a, an, an <laughs> So M- you're just rooting against North Carolina. Totally. Okay. It's all well, good for is, South Carolina. in M and I, like a, a very distinct Duke, North Carolina. There, we have a, several alumni uh, from both schools. Sometimes we talk to each other, sometimes well, we don't. Not. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening to the Wall Street Journal sports podcast. <laughs> uh, now, this has been Money Beat. Frank Maturo, Vice Chairman of Equity Capital Markets for the Americas at UBS Group. Frank, thanks for coming in today. It was really it was great. Thank, thank you. you. Thank yeah. you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks. And everyone, thank you for listening. Thank of you. course. Thank you. Oh, Maureen, of course, thank you for coming in all the time. Well, we have you on all the time. It's, fun. it's always fun. You're a regular. Uh, Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.